enjoy playing a game called uh, Jenga. Maybe you've played it uh, yourself. It uh, involves a little construction with uh, some blocks. And then, usually the other part is it involves destruction in the same way, and I'm not exactly sure which is more enjoyable. But I'm not just uh, teaching a little construction game here, but giving a little bit of an illustration that hopefully you will uh, remember from our passage today in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, You don't know how much I pray just that I'd be able to do that. So, I mean, right now the rest is icing. But what Paul presents to us in 1 Corinthians 15 is what we call in construction a load-bearing wall. A wall that if you remove it, the whole house crumbles. There are some walls, let's see, this is the other part that I prayed a lot about. Uh, There are walls, let's see, that maybe can be removed and it not uh, crumble. It's not a load-bearing wall. There are other walls that when you move, they're not load-bearing either. But then it crumbles. The death and resurrection of Jesus is a load-bearing wall. What Paul will tell us today in 1 Corinthians 15 is if that is not true, then we might as well go home because that's a load-bearing wall of our faith. That's a block if removed then our faith is in vain and we are gathered in the name of a lie. I invite you to turn with me to 934 in your pew Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or you can follow along on the screen. We'll be reading sections of uh, this uh, chapter that is really uh, the uh, ultimate expression of the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Speak to us in this moment. Teach us. Feed our faith. Anchor us in Jesus in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first part of the passage we'll look at is 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the first um, eight verses. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. 
For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then He appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. What Paul wants his readers to know is that the, the, the events of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection are not a fairy tale to inspire us to not be scared of death. They're not just a, a nice inspirational ploy to, to help us feel good about supporting one another through hard times. They are not a fairy tale to encourage us in life and death. They are accountings of real events that happened in time and space and in history. The death and resurrection of Jesus are real and they accomplished our rescue. They accomplished for us victory over sin and death. There was no swoon theory, you know, that Jesus just got really, really tired and really, really beat up. And in the cool tomb, he was resuscitated instead of resurrected. And then he came back to lead the charge. There's, there's, there is no stealing of the body and the disciples just making up this nice story to encourage the movement. Now, this... This uh, reality of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is a load-bearing wall. And if removed, then we believe in vain. If removed from uh, our individual faith. And that's, that's what Paul says, that, that some, uh, we're told, have wavered from the faith. And the end of verse 2 says that they've come to believe in in vain. You remove this, then the faith becomes empty. It becomes an empty faith, or a faith in that which is not true. At some point, the folks that Paul had worked with, they had, they had believed in the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, but then there came a point when they didn't. They were, were wavering on the reality of the resurrection. It's understandable. I mean, there are times in my own life I say, man, did that really happen? I mean, it is, has not been in my experience to see a resurrection or to experience one. It is a huge step of faith. But make no mistake, it is not the, the faith in the idea of the resurrection. It is not the, the, the faith in those followers of Jesus' day who, who recounted with such great fervor a, a fairy tale, a folk tale. It is the faith in the real, live death and resurrection of Jesus. 
Paul goes on to say in verse 3, this is of the first importance. This is of the, the highest priority of the content of the faith, of the events that had to happen for us to be able to gather and praise the name of the Lord. That's why we're having a, a class, one of the classes during the foundational hours, the basics matter. And, and friends, this is the basic. This is the essential basic that without everything else is destroyed. This is more important than any, uh, certainly more than any political stance we might affirm or, or social commitment we might make. More important than any of the secondary items that might distinguish Presbyterians from Pentecostals. Certainly more important than any of our own individual preferences, whether it comes to music or whether or not we raise our hands in worship or not. Father, forgive us when we focus our attention on those other important issues, but at the expense of our focus upon the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul recounts then to, to his readers, he said, I, I didn't make this up. Now, this, this is the, the reality of, of Jesus' death is what really happened. Verse 3, he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Then in verse 4, he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now he's talking about the Old Testament. There's no New Testament in that, that time. I mean, he was writing it. But according to the Scriptures that were written long ago, the death and resurrection of the Messiah was told, was foretold. So Paul's telling us, he's telling his readers in, this is what God said and this is what God did in Jesus. And if you don't believe it, if you don't believe it, well then he appeared. He appeared to Cephas, who's Peter. He appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred. Then he appeared to James and the apostles. And then, as one untimely born, he says, he appeared unto me. And his point is to readers in Corinth, and if you don't believe me, if you don't believe that this is what was handed down to me, then go ask any of them. Because a bunch of them are still alive. Now, I imagine he might have said, if you, if you really want the story, go talk to Thomas. Because if you recall, Thomas was the one who wasn't with the disciples when Jesus first appeared to them. And he said, I can't believe until I see. Put my hands in his hands. And so, the next time Jesus appeared to the disciples... He appeared before Thomas. He said, Thomas, here. Here are my hands. Here are my feet. Here is my side. And he fell on his knees. My God and my Lord. So Paul telling those in Corinth, if you don't believe this is true, then go ask any of the others that have seen the risen Jesus. For his death was real. It, it, it happened. We grieved over his death. It, it wasn't just a figment of our imagination or just a nice story. That's why I appreciate that our, our, our habit 
is to gather the Sunday after Easter in the, the wake of the, the joy and celebration of Easter and then to, to celebrate Remembrance Sunday, those who've gone before us. We recognize the reality of grieving, that death happens in time and space. And, and we, even with the disciples, there was a void in their lives. Jesus died before them. It was real. And the pain was real. The pain for, for missing Him. The pain of grieving over their loss. And we don't deny that. We affirm that. But then we take the next step. And say, as well as was his death, as well as true and real was his resurrection. That Jesus is alive. That death no longer has its sting. That sin and death have been overcome. They've been destroyed by his death and his resurrection. So we gather to recognize our grief in that death of those near to us, but as well to celebrate in that sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead. That sin and death do not win, but Jesus does. This, this resurrection is not just for Jesus, but for us. And that's what we celebrate. And that's what Paul goes on to say in, in verses 12 through 19 of that same uh, chapter. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain. And your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only... We have hoped in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. The, the resurrection, the, the real literal resurrection of Jesus is, accomplishes the victory over sin and death for all who are in Christ. That's why Paul goes on to say, so if it didn't happen, then, then we're in a heap of trouble. If this is just an invigorating fantasy or an inspiring folk tale, then we're in serious trouble because the tower has collapsed. If there is no resurrection, then there's no living Jesus and we are living a lie. If there is no resurrection, then our very existence as a church is based on a falsehood and we are teaching what is not true. Like those that propose a flat earth or deny the Holocaust or, or any other organization that teaches a lie and leads a group to act on that lie. I mean, Paul goes on, if Jesus is not raised, then God is not more powerful than death. 
physical life is not really connected into the next life, if there even is a next life, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true. It's a blind faith even to believe in the next life if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And then Paul tells us, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we are still in our sin. We are still separated from God. And there is no hope of being with God. We are languishing in our own impurity and unrighteousness. Sin and death still hold sway. There is no real hope but a false one. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Paul goes in what I didn't read in in verse 32. He, He says, we might as well just jump into the philosophy of the day. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Live for today. Because nothing else is guaranteed. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Our story is false. There there is no larger kingdom. No resurrection pulls the plug on the whole thing. The very reason we gather together. Some want to say, well, no, Jesus is a good example of sacrificial love. You know, the ends justify the means. You know, it's a story that's beyond reality, but it has its own truth uh, today because it inspires us. To sacrificial love. No. It's not true. Then it's a lie. There is no hope if the resurrection isn't real. There's no hope for justice to be done. And no real reason for us to work for justice. No reason to to be righteous. Unless we're the victim of injustice. uh, and, And unless... If we pursue righteousness, it will bring to us some benefit for ourselves if the resurrection isn't true. I mean, at all costs, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, avoid suffering, avoid sacrifice, unless the risk is minimal and the benefit personal. That's what Paul is saying is reality if the resurrection of Jesus isn't real. That's why it's a load-bearing wall. That's why it's of first importance, as he says. That's why it is absolutely essential and crucial. Because the resurrection of Jesus means that what we believe is true, that Jesus is alive today, that we are not still in our sin, that we are not running scared of death, That He is alive today to rescue us from the judgment of God. To walk with us in life. To communicate with us. And to usher us into the presence of God forever. Because of His death and resurrection. The last section of chapter 15. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 50 through the end of the chapter. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because the resurrection is true, It is the ultimate victory over sin and death. It's not just a nice idea. It has happened. It is done. It is finished, to quote Jesus on the cross. God has destroyed sin and death. That sin that separates us from God at the cross, God destroyed it. Its impact is no more for those of us who are in Christ Jesus because He really died for us. The resurrection shows us that this power, that God's power is greater than even in the sin in me, in the sin in you, in the sin in all of us combined. But if it didn't really happen, then it didn't really accomplish that. But it did. The resurrection from the dead shows us that God is more powerful even than death. And so when we gather at the occasion of death, we don't run scared. We aren't timid. We are even bold. Not because of us, but because of Jesus and the power of God that raised Him from the dead. All that Paul talks about here, about being perishable. The perishable being moving to the imperishable. The, the mortal being moved to the immortal. is all about God's power of the resurrection now being enacted in us. That which, which moves us, front, changes us, transforms us from this body that is decaying into that glorified state. Glorification, the the technical term that we use, that state that God changes us into, that imperishable, that immortal state that He puts us into. That just as Jesus was really resurrected, that they could the disciples could touch him, they could see him, they could take a picture of him. So too will we be changed one day. We will undergo that spiritual transformation. The curse of Adam and Eve will be totally reversed. And Jesus will deliver us completely to the Father. And we will be before Him, made pure in Him. That's why He can end the chapter in verse 58. So therefore, live this life today for Him. In death and in life, He is victorious. He is alive today and He is living with us today. So therefore, live for Him. 
because your labor for Him is not in vain. See, our trajectory, the trajectory of our life is resurrection. That's where we're headed. Death is part of that trajectory that we move through until Jesus then brings us before the Father, bathed, cleansed, whole in Him. So we can live today for Him, no matter if it means suffering, no matter if it means pain, or for those that it means death. They can do so without fear, because sin and death have really been destroyed. And we can remember today with joy those who've gone before us. We can even be excited for them. Can can you imagine that experience of being before the creator of the universe, protected, clothed in Christ, and now those who've gone before us are because of Jesus' real death and resurrection, the real death that our loved ones have gone through, if they are in Christ Jesus, then they are experiencing the power of the real resurrection in Him. It isn't just an inspiring fantasy or a powerful folktale. It is the truth. And those whose names we call today those that we remember. We grieve because of our loss, because the death is real, but not without hope. We grieve with the sure and certain hope that they are now made whole, that they are made pure, that they have been changed in the real power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we look forward to that day when we join with them and are made full and complete in Christ with all who've gone before us and with our Lord, Savior, Creator face to face. Amen.